0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Manchester is Red podcast. Uh, a busy week for all things United this week. I'm joined by Samuel Lockhurst.
1: Hello, Tyre. I didn't uh, expect you to
0: be presenting. So
1: this is this is my uh, my debut under your under your
0: management. It's, it's my debut as uh, as a manager and presenter <laughs> as well, actually. So we're uh, we're both in for a rough ride, but. Making things up on the on the hoof is something United have been doing a, a lot of this week. So we'll uh, we'll join in the fun in, in that regard. Um yeah, it's been it's been quite the week. I suppose the obvious place to start. Samuel is is your story yesterday on, on Mauricio Pochettino and, and United's approach there. What is the the situation as you understand it? Well, they've they've obviously sounded him out to replace Ole Gunnar
1: Solskjaer, which is a logical thing to do. It's something that they have done with the previous managerial changes and that when they sat David Moyes, Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho, they knew when they sat them who their replacements were going to be, whether it was on a caretaker or a permanent basis. Um, United aren't ever going to confirm that they've sounded out Uh, a manager to replace the incumbent manager. And as far as United are concerned, the current manager is backed until he is sacked. And that's been the case uh, with Bangal, with Mourinho, with Moyes. So what United have to say, their stance on the matter is about as meaningful as what Donald Trump is saying about um, electoral fraud in in the United States. Um, United have I was off yesterday, but united um I was informed. I spoke to colleagues who informed me that United were you know going about saying it's incorrect and blah blah blah. and i was I wasn't surprised by that because that's you know I think the the size of the story, I think I was kind of prepared for that to happen. I think what's important in this is that it's worth stressing because sometimes you try to give context and inform uh, listeners about how how we go about our jobs. and on the night that, Mourinho and United for the last time against Liverpool. They'd just lost 3-1. I was told that he was going to get sacked. I put that to United. And United are obviously in a compromising situation there, um, but they told me it was untrue. And then less than 48 hours on a Tuesday morning, he was sacked. So that just kind of gives fans... Uh, listeners, an idea of how how these things play out, how they operate, why in this instance united's uh, stance, what they say is is utterly meaningless uh, no matter what what they say, what they do, what they try to um put out there. Uh, you know, if anything, I think the story is a compliment to them because it show it's it's one laudable aspect of the running of the football club. there aren't many there aren't very many of them, but the fact that they do, take the time to actually get a manager lined up to to replace managers on the rocks. Um, They've they done that before and they're doing it again.
0: Yeah, I mean, the fact United are, are considering alternatives to, to Solskjaer at this stage shows what pressure he's under. I mean, it was no no secret given recent performances, but it makes the, the game tomorrow lunchtime uh, an absolutely massive one, doesn't it? It does. And to, to be honest, I, I mean, I, I've not,
1: I didn't write that if they lose at Everton, you get sacked. I can see them losing at Everton and him not getting sacked after that game, mm. even though we've got the November internationals coming up and they're a fashionable time for Premier League managers to, sorry, Premier League clubs to make a managerial change. I think it's happened in the last, last three Novembers. Um, it, it would have been Jukanovic in 2018. Last year, it was obviously Pochettino when Mourinho came in. I think David Moyes uh, replaced Slavon Bilic at West Ham in, in 2017. So it, it is a logical time, but the mitigation, of course, is that United will have played five games fewer than they ordinarily, ordinarily would have, which is a sizable difference, um, given that there are 15 points on, on offer there or would have been off, on offer there if, if we weren't living in a, in a pandemic. So, and also I wrote in the story that there is a reluctance on United's part to to sack on a Solskjaer. I I can't repeat the quote, but Malcolm Tucker has a pretty legendary line in the thick of it about the timing of sackings and why if you sack someone so soon, it reflects badly on the employer. But if you sack an employee after a certain amount of time, it's pinned completely on, on the employee. In Solskjaer's case, I think it's irrelevant even when he is sacked because Ultimately, the, the problems at the club are, are the are the owners and are the, is, is Ed Woodward. Um, Solskjaer has his shortcomings as manager. United invested an awful lot of money on signings on on his watch already, but I don't think there's ever been widespread uh, acceptance that he is absolutely the right man to be in that role. Uh, he put out put up a compelling case to get the job on a permanent basis and succeeded in that. He's had some success along the way as a permanent manager. Uh, towards the end of last season, so the second half of last season, they were they were excellent after Fernandez came in, and it was a bit of a shame for them in the end that it ended quite limply with with the Europa League semi-final, which the the really have won going off the the performance in the first hour of that game. But there are fundamental issues there, uh, there are fundamental problems there, and Solskjaer is a problem, but but not the problem, and that's that's the worry for United unless the structure changes. I think there's a danger that they're going to go around in circles, regardless of who the manager is. There's not not a freak of a manager out there who can come in and just make things happen magically. I think even if Pep Guardiola came in or Jurgen Klopp came in, they would demand immense backing. And Klopp's got backing from Michael Edwards, who's an exemplary sporting director at Liverpool, United don't have a director of football and I think it was said around the time of Mourinho's dismissal and it's still the case now that whenever they do change manager, they need to have a director of football in as well. If anything, hiring a director of football, a competent director of football is just as important, if not more important, than who the next manager is going to be.
0: Yeah, I I I suppose the irony is that had United stuck to their original plan when they appointed Solskjaer, that they might not be in this situation, that the plan was always to make a decision at the end of that 2018-19 season. And then they appointed him on a permanent basis in, in March and results fell off a cliff. And it, it does feel like by making that decision and and trusting in this cultural reset that he's wanted and, and phrases like that, they've really nailed their colours to the master with Solskjaer, haven't they? And it's it's going to be a, a significant decision for the club to to part ways with him. It is and it isn't. I think
1: of all the of all the managerial changes they've made, Solskjaer is is maybe the most expendable because he was a caretaker in the first place and he doesn't have the CV of Van Gaal or Mourinho or the gravitas of those two. When Moyes was shocked, it was a massive jolt because United hadn't sacked a manager in... Just nearly, nearly 28 years, I think it would have been Atkinson. Obviously, with, I think this is the anniversary of Ron Atkinson sacking um we're speaking today because Alex Ferguson came in. Again, another instance of a club having a manager lined up to replace a manager before uh, they've pulled the trigger. So... And and also, like if, if, if you're superstitious, uh, United have sacked a manager in, in, in a year that's ended with an even number in the last few years. And of course, we're in 2020 now. So uh, I, I think that with with Solskjaer, as I said, I still think they'll try and hold firm and give him time. And unfortunately for him, that big announcement kind of got him through last season, as deserves him in the Premier League, and that they have lost to Arsenal. They were absolutely trounced by Tottenham. They were pretty pretty soulless against Chelsea. The of two games at Old Trafford, the performances the performances at Old Trafford all season, in fact, have been pretty dreadful and you can't play the lack of supporters card, which is what Solskjaer tried last week. I, I suspect Solskjaer will be absolutely beside himself that there won't be any supporters inside Goodson Park this weekend because that is nowhere near as intimidating a ground as it would be with 30-odd thousand Scousers inside it. So looking at the face of it... You know, objectively, it, it seems like a logical thing to do in, in dismissing Solskjaer In that however much wiggle room he has and whatever the mitigation, there was a better coach out there and a coach that United wanted to come in and replace Mourinho in the first instance. There's no compensation fee to pay to Tottenham. There's no hurdle in in going out there and getting Pochettino. Um, and it's just a case of really, you know, how long do they wait now? I think um, you know, Solskjaer did turn it around midway through last season and had the signing a Fernandez to help him along the way. I'm not so certain they can repeat that trip this year, and in making a magical signing in January, who's just going to solve all the problems on a short-term basis?
0: Yeah, and we're having this conversation because he's under pressure. More pressure as a result of that performance in in Istanbul, which truly was lamentable. And it, it's been a trait of Salzgauz that, like you say, when he's been most under pressure, he's he's managed to pick up a win. But it feels a little bit different this time, and and some of the performances this season have been dreadful. And and that was probably icing on the cake in midweek, wasn't it? Well, the defending for the first goal, I. I... When I looked up again, I thought,
1: he's got to be offside. No, he wasn't offside. And the, the more you see it, the more it just beggars belief that they allowed themselves to be in that position, uh, that situation. That kind of setup is only forgivable if you're one nil down in, in added time and you're, you're trying to get an equaliser and you, you do literally send everyone by the goalkeeper forward. I mean, Dean Henson had every right to butt heads, literally, with, with some of his teammates after that. And I think that's possibly... One of the issues with United that they do seem too nice a team still. Um, it was it was kind of reassuring in a way to hear about the the, the rancor that went on at halftime during the Tottenham game because they need that. I mean, Roy Keane once chased Gary Neville round the dressing room at Highfield Road after um, a mistake he made or a confrontation that that led to that. You know, he had a fight with Peter Schmeichel on, on a pre-season tour when when you're playing friendlies and there's there's nothing really at stake for it. And I mean, if Michael was in goal the other night, you know, he probably would have lamped uh, one of his teammates. We, you know, Bruce Grobler and Stephen Manneman had that infamous um, confrontation at Goodison Park about nearly thirty years ago now. And I don't want to harp on about the, harp on about the past too much, but I think there are certain standards that you can apply to the, the current climate and to contemporary players. But it does feel a. It just feels far too separate, and I didn't agree with everything that Roy Keane said last week about the state of United at the moment. And, and He was very, very, he was pretty despairing over the way they are uh, currently, but he, he does have a lot of points, a lot of valid points that just seem to go over the head of these players. Maguire in midweek I thought was, was scandalous, and that there was clearly no fundamental leadership going on in that back line. I think a couple of minutes after Barr scored straight from a goal kick. Toon Zibi was the last, one, last man back with Barr and fouled him, got a yellow card and, and Barr was, I mean, he was asking for a red card. It, it wasn't a red card, but he, he had, you could understand where it was coming from. You just think, how has that situation been allowed to happen a second time? it was almost as if Maguire went rogue. Um, and with him, look, I, I know United had a dearth of options to replace Ashley Young, as captain in January, that Ashley Young was United captain was a little bit not, not perplexing as such, but he was he was a peculiar choice for many, even though his presence and his um, you know his personality in the dressing room I was, I was, were very impressive. But I think it was too soon to give Maguire that role and. You know he, he had a, he's had a dreadful start to the season but he scores a goal at Newcastle united win and his family are out in force and frankly they they sounded more like the Maguires from shameless the way they were going after people and trying to <laughs> knock their knock their criticism down but it it's you know it's one swallow does not a summer make and Maguire was was woeful again midweek and i, I did feel sorry for him because he he was isolated he, he lacked the nouse of a, a proper leader beside him i know Maguire can can lead commendably at times but in midweek it was just absolutely lacking and the fullbacks seem to have to be controlled as to when they go forward when to defend they can't strike a balance themselves which is extremely worrying when you you Mm -hmm. consider how how fundamental fullbacks are to most modern sides in this day and age and you knew as soon as that ball went across for the second goal you're thinking where the hell is Luke Shaw and you're also thinking Luke Shaw's not going to be the one getting on the end of this and of course he wasn't the ball goes in they're two nil down and that ends up being the winning goal I suppose the main concern going into the Everton game is that you could probably count on one hand how many play, how many United
0: players genuinely deserve to start. Yeah. I mean the defence is is utterly perplexing, isn't it? And you've got, like you said, leaders who aren't leading. You've got defenders who should be natural communicators who aren't talking to each other, coaching staff, micromanaging fullbacks during games from the touchline. Is this a failure of players or is it a failure of coaching staff as well? Because they look badly organised as yeah. well, don't they? It's it's got to be both. I mean Scholes and Hargreaves'
1: analysis um, in midweek was was pretty impressive. And Scholes obviously pinpointed that Phelan was saying, you know, someone's got to be further back there, almost as if he was alert to the danger. I think the trouble with someone like Mike Phelan is that. He's, he's got to be the only assistant manager who isn't actually coaching the players. The, the coaches who are going through the day-to-day routines mainly are Kim McKenna and Michael Carrick. And then come match day, Phelan drives out onto the touchline as the self-acclaimed boss he is. That's, that's a reference to something he said, I think, at the tail end of 2013, where he effectively said, oh, I was the real boss at Man United because I did this, that and the other. And he's talking about... Ferguson's last five years it, it, it was a risible statement but anyway if, if he's coming out to the touchline when he doesn't coach these players on a daily basis why would the players respect what he has to say or um, take into account what he has to say it's almost as if he's just you know being there as a kind of like I I, I don't know it's, it's it's just almost like this gesture of appearance's sake of being a link to the past and it doesn't really quite wash and unfortunately for Solskjaer there was that screenshot of him smiling at 2-1 and the only time he's ever really cut loose at the press conference was when it was mentioned to him about Van Persie lamenting that he was kind of chuckling and smiling after a 2-0 defeat at Arsenal so I don't imagine that will have gone down well with Solskjaer seeing those screenshots and sometimes appearances are deceiving and things like that but it's it's just another way that how how he is uh, perceived by a section of the fan base so uh it's it's obviously not looking good for him at the moment but i do still think for him anyway this, the situation is just about salvageable but he's not been handed a good hand they've they've strengthened the squad this season rather than the first team
0: yeah, I mean the inconsistency of this team is, is completely baffling, isn't it, given what they did in Paris and, and against RB Leipzig. And it, that makes it impossible to know exactly what we're going to get at Goodison on Saturday. It does. And
1: Everton away does not look as intimidating as it did a few weeks ago. I think it was pretty apparent even when Everton had that start to the season that if they suffered a few injuries or suspensions, they were they're in danger of regressing. And that's exactly what's happened. They have had injuries and suspensions. I think Richarlison is still out for this game. I think he's still suspended. Dinia, I know, mm-hmm. is is available because his his ban was reduced to one game. Um, but last week, they had Gilfie Sigurdsson and Fabian back in the team up at Newcastle. Alan and Decore look a little bit tired um, because they have been ever present in there. And Newcastle, Newcastle 1-2-1. I know this has been a season of surprising results, but I wasn't wholly surprised by that. And, and that was even though you know, Everton finally dropped Jordan Pickford. So there are obvious chinks in the armour at Everton in that they the defence I just don't think is particularly convincing Coleman is past his best the centre-backs I, th- I think are very dubious the goalkeeping situation is unresolved and beyond the first beyond that front six which is very impressive front six um there's there's not a great deal of quality in, in depth there and that might might all play into United's hands in that if Rodriguez doesn't make it, uh, I know Bradson are hopeful that he'll be fit for that game because he missed the game at Newcastle last week. But Richarlison's out. If Richarlison and Rodriguez are out, those are two major boosts for United, whatever United's own situation. And as I said earlier, I think the fact that there are no supports inside Goodson Park, which is an extremely intimidating ground um, at times. United have had some chasing days there in recent years. I, I think for Solskjaer's sake, um, from his perspective, it, it can't be any worse than the 4-0 Easter Sunday game there last year as well. Uh, mm. if, if there's anything remotely like that, then I think he will be lucky to to see out the, uh, the the November internationals.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems incredible that that's probably only 18 months or so, that, that game. And it, it felt then like Solskjaer was just picking players out of form in a desperate bid to get a team together yeah. and, and that we needed changes in it. It's, it's almost come full circle. Players deserve to be dropped after Arsenal. Players deserve to be dropped after Istanbul and it's it's very difficult to know what his best eleven or his best shape is at the moment. It is. I mean, Fred Lindelof and De Gea
1: are, you know, must be delighted that they didn't play midweek because they're, they're they're completely unblemished by that performance but then you think well Fred played against Arsenal and he was he's was probably the worst player on the pitch he was he was absolutely abysmal but there's every chance he'll start on on Saturday because the players who came in midweek didn't make an impression. That's including the substitutes. They had, they had 16 players involved in that basak game. And f- frankly, nobody really did anything suggesting they should be starting this weekend. But it doesn't work like that. Some of those players who, who were involved are are going to be starting at Goodison. Uh, I, I think, again, whatever team Sotagall goes with, it's going to be contentious. Van Der Beek yeah. didn't really assert himself well. I think as soon as the first goal went in, everyone crumbled, including him. Uh, but up until then I know it's not very long but it's about 13 minutes I think he looked he looked pretty good but if he's back out and Pogba's back in you ask yourself well why are you turn into someone who whose future doesn't appear to be at United and at the expense of someone who you've just signed who apparently does represent the future so as I said it's it's going to be a contentious team that he picks again um Maguire's got a lot of naysayers uh, at the moment because his form has just been dreadful frankly uh, But Tumziby had such a chastening time in the first half in Istanbul. You kind of expect it to be the same back five as against Arsenal, unless Alex Telles is deemed fit enough to make his Premier League debut. Which, even though, again, there are no supporters at Goodison, I still think it's a big ask against an Everton side who have, have made a pretty good start to the season, despite their recent form.
0: Yeah, it's about finding that balance for Solskjaer, I guess. At the moment, when he's been playing Fred and McTominay, it, it feels like they're not getting enough creativity going forward. When he doesn't play them, it feels like they're too open. The, there's almost midfield is a strong area, but finding the right combination has proven to be an issue. And United somehow need to find a way of of looking stronger defensively and, and ensuring it through midfield without leaving Fernandez as the sole creator because he, he's been in that position recently and he's not in great form. And, you can understand that in a way, because the burden on him to create chances and, and be the main creator in this side is is overwhelming, really, isn't it? It is. I think his performance level has been a, a concern
1: since the end of last season, or certainly towards the end of last season. But he had penalties that were masking performances, and more often not, they were crucial penalties as well. They were match-winning penalties. But his form has, has been on the slide for, for quite some time, and... As, as you said, in terms of that balance, they they haven't mastered it. Spurs absolutely exposed them because they noticed that Rashford and Greenwood aren't particularly, uh, you know, good defenders or don't really show a great willingness to defend. So the fullbacks were left exposed. Gary Neville, I think, you know, he he summarised it very well in that analysis of how they'd they'd countered that six-one trouncing by bringing McTominay and Fred in and trying to give them a more secure base. And since they've opened up. Against in in the game against Derby Leipzig, which of course went tremendously well. Uh, they've yeah you know, the, the the diamond was rumbled by Arsenal at the weekend. It was then a different formation in midweek. I think the players he picked against here, the, the team was easily good enough to win that game and or should have won that game. But again, that mental fragility about this United side was apparent as soon as as Barth scored. So he he clearly doesn't know his best eleven. I don't think anybody um knows what united's best 11 is uh, if if the manager doesn't then then nobody is and i think the trouble you know, we saw the warning signs in the first few games of the season when at brighton he played the exact same side that had started at brighton in in late june they've again the, the way they went about their summer business they bought players to strengthen the squad and on a match day whether it's 18 players or um 20 23 players in in, in the champions league games The overall squad does look pretty impressive. There are a lot of stellar names there. But there is a a danger that it's all style and no substance because the the defence is very flaky. Um, The midfield balance, they're not quite sure what to do there. And they do lack a younger specialist defensive midfielder. And they've still not got a right winger. They are probably the only football club on the planet that could sign two right wingers in a transfer window. And it is still a huge problem position. And so Oscar alluded to that in midweek, he said about how um, too much of the play was lopsided, it was too much to one side rather than the other side. When that's happening, that's that's not just players going rogue, That there's got to be a fundamental lack of communication or basic understanding of the instructions from the coaches.
0: Yeah, I mean, good ever since. The Grim Reaper was hanging over David Moyes. Goodison's yeah. been haunted by United managers, really. So, metaphorically, probably not a great place for Sol Scott to visit. And the fact you alluded to it before, an international break coming up, not only is it potentially sacking season, but even if they lose and he stays, it's it's two weeks of of a negative narrative. And if they do get beat, even if he doesn't go through, the pressure is going to be immense over this next two weeks, building up to West Brom, isn't it? If they don't get some kind of positive result on Saturday.
1: Absolutely. With, with Pochettino, they are in a... A relatively relaxed position in that there's nobody out there who would obviously go for Pochettino just yet. I mean, there have been a few clubs who who could have appointed him. Arsenal, uh, Barcelona, Juventus, all three of them plumped for former players. I think certainly at the end of the season or this time next year, we'd all be surprised if Pochettino is not managing United, PSG or Real Madrid. Those are the three obvious clubs. He played for PSG, Tuchel, I think he's into the last year of his contract and although he's done a very good job at PSG and they've kind of overcome that that bottle job status in the Champions League by getting to a final, uh, winning Liga every year, it doesn't really suffice and they lost again in midweek to to Leipzig, so their their qualification through to the last 16 is, is actually in jeopardy and if that were to happen, you really cannot see Tuchel staying for another season. With Real Madrid, it's such a a capricious club where it comes to managers and comes to coaches, that with Zidane, even when in La Liga, it wouldn't necessarily guarantee that he stays on. They are a club that are utterly obsessed with winning the European Cup. Every year their main objective, their main goal is to win the Champions League. And that's always that's that's been the case pretty much since Paris uh, first became president and as I said I think if Zidane doesn't win the Champions League there's every chance that they'll change coach. Uh, there have been seasons where Zidane was in charge where it, it pretty much did hinge on him winning the Champions League certainly in 2016 if he if he hadn't won it Madrid were very very open to bringing Mourinho back in charge and that was one of the, the subplots to United being after him as well at the same time so uh, things can unravel very very quickly um, as far as United's competitors if you like for Pochettino go but at the moment there's there's very little uh, threat of him going elsewhere
0: yeah Rich and Dom normally uh, end these podcasts with requests for predictions but it, it feels like this United side are, are basically beyond the prediction stage yeah. now they're they're so unpredictable uh, have you got the faintest idea what's going to happen this weekend no not at all I think as I said
1: to Dom last week and I think you were on the pod as well when when it was the podcast before the cup semi-final we were all asked you know United how do we think it's going to go we both said confidently United will beat Chelsea as soon as I saw that team sheet on Sunday if I had to make a prediction there and then I'd have predicted that United were not going to beat Chelsea uh I, I think it's always, it always has to be reserved for team sheet predictions but uh g- given you've asked I, I'd probably goodness um I, I said a score draw last week and I'd probably say the same again uh you know, I thought there would have been more goals between United and Arsenal. I can't really see a tight game between Everton and United. I think Mm. it's two
0: flaky defences, two um, pretty good attacks as well. So a score draw yeah, I think Solskjaer's record of pulling irons out of fire when he most needs them will uh, will come in handy this weekend and they might just get something. Whatever does happen, we'll be back next week to, to analyse it, good, bad or indifferent. And let's be honest, it's rarely indifferent at the moment with, uh, with United. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast and we'll catch you next week with all the analysis from Goodison.